where we're going to be. Colossians chapter number one. My name is Travis Sharp. My wife April is here with me tonight. We're members here at Temple and I lead Unsheltered International, which is one of the missionary efforts of Temple Baptist Church. And Pastor Malcolm called me early this afternoon and asked if I would step in for him tonight because he is sick. So uh, he asked me to, to please to request prayer for him. I think his blood pressure is spiked up and he's not exactly sure if it's, you know, allergies and blood pressure, but uh, Brother Dustin said he, uh, preacher was fighting through the day trying to get work done here and everything, but finally they recommended that he go home, amen, and get rest. And so we need to lift Pastor Malcolm up in prayer tonight. Listen, it's one thing when, uh, you know, when some of us get sick, and that's bad, but when our preacher gets sick, man, we need to bombard the throne of grace because we need him. Say amen. And uh, so let's just do that right now. Let's just go to God in prayer. You know, traditionally, Wednesday nights, uh, it, they're Bible study nights, but um, uh, down through the years in, in church, uh, Wednesday nights have also been called prayer meeting nights. And because it's a, it's a special time to study God's Word and pray together as a church family. And I can't think of anything better than to lift our preacher up in prayer. And if you're here for the first time, and this is your first experience, here's what I can tell you. This is a wonderful, wonderful church, probably the best there is, amen? And uh, I hope you'll enjoy the message tonight, but here's my message to you. It gets way better, amen? So if this is your first time, come back uh, and hear our preacher. So let's pray for him tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up Brother Malcolm, and we just ask you, God, to touch him in his body. Lord, these old bodies are frail, and we know that, God. We know that we are only clay. But thank God we're in the potter's hand. And Lord, we pray that you, the great physician, would step into the room where he is and Give him rest. Give Preacher Malcolm rest. And I pray, God, his body would be rejuvenated. His mind would be encouraged. And you would touch him, Lord. Thank you for a preacher that works as hard as he does and studies as hard as he does and consistently helps the body of Christ. And so tonight we pray for him, that you would strengthen him and heal him up and bring him back at the next appointed time. And Lord, tonight for the Bible study, we pray, God, you'd bless. And I pray you'd bring to my memory those things that I have studied and prayed over. And I pray, God, you'd touch us tonight and help us, Lord, to hear from heaven and to hear from the Word of God. We need you, Lord. Most everybody in here has worked all day and they've toiled with their hands or labored uh, with their minds, and Lord, we need to hear from heaven and hear from God. And so, Lord, I pray for that tonight. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to tell you a story before I read the verses. Uh, I mentioned that, that my wife and I, April, we lead the Unsheltered International Ministry, uh, what we do, we bring help and hope to people experiencing homelessness in many places in the United States and also overseas in the Philippines and in the country of Honduras and now in, in the country of Burma or Myanmar over in Asia. And God's really expanding our ministry. We work with a lot of partner churches overseas and, and here in America and one of our partners is Pastor Raul Ramada and his wife, Sister Rachel. And they live in, on the island of Mindanao, the southernmost island in the Philippines. 
and they started a brand new church. And Temple, our church, is geared toward, in our missions department, we're really geared toward planting new churches. And last year, we were able to help Pastor Ramada and his wife, Rachel, plant a brand new church there in Mindanao. And before they planted that church, we assisted them to open up an unsheltered international children's meal center where they go every week to a particular village and they serve a delicious meal to the children. They teach a Bible study to the children and they also provide first aid for the, for the very poor children. And they did that for about six or eight months and after making a lot of contacts through the families of the children, it was some of those families that formed the nucleus for the new church that was started last year in the fall of last year. And so that was just exciting. But also, Pastor Ramada and his family, they minister to homeless children and families that live in their city as well. And they shared this story with me. You know, we are one of our primary ways of communication when I'm in America is through Facebook and Facebook Messenger. And they sent me a bunch of pictures. I wish I'd have thought to, to have the men put them on the screen, but I just didn't think about that. Uh, but they sent me pictures and they told me this story. Last week, Pastor Ramada and his wife Rachel and his kids, they were driving from one city to another, I think going to his sister's house. And these folks are just full of compassion. They're always looking for someone to help. And they saw two young kids, uh, a a little girl and a little boy. I think the girl is nine years old and the boy is 11. They were walking down the road, but they noticed them and they stood out because they just looked mistreated. They, They were filthy dirty. They looked like they were probably street kids living on the streets. And so they stopped and they tried to, you know, go up to the kids and just investigate and find out what was wrong or what the deal was. But when they did, the kids ran because they were scared. Well, finally, Pastor Ramada, can't nobody outrun him anyway, he finally caught up with them and somehow convinced them that he was a pastor and, you know, he wasn't trying to hurt them in any way. He just wanted to know who they were and, and how could he help them. Come to find out, These children were two runaways and their house was more than an hour away from where they were found, way up in a mountain village. And they were filthy dirty, they were uh, just neglected and he he said they were starving. Uh, Not literally starving, but that day, very hungry. And so they put them in their car and turned around and took them back home. And this is where the story is just so cool. Let me pause that story for just a minute. About a year and a half ago, when we were in the Philippines, I was with Pastor Ramada and some other folks, and we were on a, also we were on a long journey. And we stopped at Jollibee, which is like the Philippines or Asia's equivalent kind of to McDonald's. It's a fast food restaurant that serves the worst hamburgers you could ever eat in your life. Well, that's not true. That would be angel burgers. Anyway, they got good chicken, but horrible hamburgers. But, and we stopped eating. When we came out, there was some children in the parking lot just begging for money. And I saw this one particular boy who was about 12 years old, and he just caught my eye. And I went up to him and began to talk to him. Uh, But my Ilongo, which is the language they speak, it goes about two sentences deep. And after I find out your name, uh, you know, your age and where you live, that's about all I can do. And so I did that and I called Pastor Amada over. Well, long story short, this boy was uh, also, he wasn't really a runaway, but his parents had just kicked him out at like 10 years old. He'd been living on the streets for two years. Well, Pastor Ramada put him in the car and took him home. 
and gave him a bath at our mission house and he went to the authorities and told them he found this child. Well, they located the people whose custody he was supposed to be in, which was his aunt and uncle, and they said, we don't want him. If you want him, you can have him. So anyway, he was given custody of John Paul. And so John Paul now is 14 years old and has lived with Pastor Ramada and Sister Rachel and their family for the last year and a half or so. And he just two weeks ago graduated from kindergarten. He had never been to school a day in his life. But the Ramada family got him enrolled in school and everything. And, uh, and there was a, they had a picture of he graduated kindergarten at 14 years old. And he was so excited for that accomplishment. So when they brought these, this boy and this girl home last week, John Paul said, I will help the young boy. And I, I, don't, I didn't get the boy and the girl's name. But John Paul took the boy to the, uh, bat, the shower room, bathroom and shower and all that's all like in one deal over there, and uh, stripped him down to his nothing but his underwear and gave him a bath. So the boy that was homeless and was rescued by one of our staff members and church planners and given a bath the very day he was rescued was now given a bath to this younger boy that was rescued from the streets last week. And their daughter, who is Cheryl, and she's about 14, she bathed the little nine-year-old girl. They fixed food and they fed them and they spent the night with them. Well, the next day... Pastor Ramada took the hour journey up into the mountains and took these two kids home. And they found out that the father is a drunkard, very bad alcoholic, who has been neglecting the children and also abusing them. And uh, the social welfare system there in the Philippines, especially in the mountain regions, is just it just doesn't work. So Pastor Ramada... Uh, the message said, I preached the word of God to the Father. <laughs> and after the word of God, I warned him never to harm your children again. And we will be monitoring you daily. So now they are ministering to this family. He might be ministering to the daddy with a bamboo stick. I don't know. <laughs> but, and I don't know, I don't think the daddy got saved, but he heard the gospel we're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing. God has got representatives that care all over the world. I want you to pray for that, that little boy and that little girl. And they have five, five or six siblings at home that are younger than them. Pray that daddy gets saved. And pray those kids can grow up one day in a Christian home. And thank God for our partners that, that care enough to stop on the side of the road. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound familiar? There's a story in the Bible about a good Samaritan who cared enough to stop and to, and to invest and to help someone that was in need. Um, so a boy that was rescued a year and a half ago is now helping to rescue other children. And that's what Unsheltered International is about in our overseas ministry, uh, church planting and helping those in need. And here in the United States, our very first big event is coming up next weekend in, in uh, Coatesville, Pennsylvania. We'll be bringing hope and help to over 300 homeless people at the City Gate Mission. And we do that in seven different states. We'll take doctors and nurses with us and give the homeless people that come medical checkups. We take pastors and counselors for prayer uh, and, and soul winning uh, during our events. We, take, uh, we help people get their birth certificate so they can apply for different um, housing and things they need. We give new clothing. We give away Bibles. and all, We take barbers and hairstylists with us. If you can cut hair, you can come on one of our trips with us here in the U.S. and cut people's hair. And um, we do all those things for one reason. So we can show people, listen, we love you, but more importantly, God loves you. And when you give somebody a haircut, 
uh, and uh, some new clothes and a medical checkup and, and feed them good and preach to them, they'll sit down and listen to you pretty good. Amen. Uh, so pray for our ministry, if you will. We're excited. And God also gave us a brand new warehouse here in Coleman, out in the Bethel community. And we can now accept donations. We've been keeping that on the down low, the donations part, because we ain't had nowhere to put it. But we can now take stuff like clothes and shoes and hygiene items, because we have a great place to put it. And a lot of folks here at the church have been helping us with that project. And God is good. Amen. God is good. But it's all about the gospel. Social type stuff without the gospel is very shallow and hollow. You know, somebody can go, and this is blunt, but you can go to hell and be well fed and cared for. That's just the truth. There will be people today that die without Christ and wind up in hell and they left earth from a very nice home. And so we do social things. We help people physically. But the most important is what I'm going to talk about tonight and that's the the spiritual experience that we have in our life. Let me read you some verses. Colossians chapter 1 I'll read verses 1 through 8. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister Of Christ. Doesn't that sound kind of like Preacher Malcolm? Doesn't that sound kind of like Brother Buchanan Jackson? Kind of like Brother Dustin Phillips and Brother Jeff Robertson and the whole staff here at Temple? Which is for you a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. I want to talk to you about the spiritual experience of the Colossian believers. The author of this letter, which we know as the book of Colossians, is the Apostle Paul. And so he is writing this letter to the Christians who are in the city of Colossae. Colossae was a physical, literal city, and the people that lived there were were referred to as the Colossians, or the people who lived in Colossae. That's why it's called the book of Colossians in your Bible. But while Paul, the great apostle, was writing this letter, he was actually a prisoner in Rome. He was in Prison. This is referred to as one of the prison epistles because when it was written, the author, the Apostle Paul, was actually in prison. It's thought that there were, there were false teachers who had come into this church or this fellowship of believers and were 
teaching false doctrine. And so Paul the Apostle, when he writes this letter, he's writing with the intention, the main theme and focus of correcting false doctrine. Much like what he did in in 1 Corinthians when he was addressing all the troubles and the fighting and the selfishness and the sin that was in the Corinthian church. And so, in the introductory parts of of the book of Colossians, verses 1 through 8, Paul really talks about their spiritual climate and their spiritual life. As a matter of fact, we can look, and what we're going to look at tonight is the four stages of spiritual growth in the lives of the Christians at Colossae. And we will see how they relate to anybody and everybody in our day and age. So, I'm going to give you the four stages of their spiritual life or their spiritual experience. Stage number one, or or the first thing that happened in their spiritual life, we find in in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, especially verse 5, and here it is, they heard the gospel. They heard. Heard the gospel. Let me read you verse 5 again. The Bible says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, this is the first step or the first stage in anyone's Christian life. It's it's so vital that we get this and that we understand this and it's really cool how, how that God allows this to work. I think it was just maybe last Sunday or, or the Sunday before that Pastor Malcolm was, was talking about and hadn't the Sunday message has been awesome uh, they're always good, but they were just especially good the last two weeks. My family, we travel a lot. We'll be gone the next several Sundays, but when we're home, man, it, it, we love it. Amen. But Pastor Malcolm was talking about the fact that no one is a Christian because of their heritage. Now, it could very well be someone's heritage where they heard about Christ. And hopefully that's the case. I know that my son and and my daughter, they heard about Jesus first, not on the radio or at church, but from me and their mom. Before our children were ever born, we would pray over them. And we would pray for God to save them. And for God to let them hear about the wonderful truth that Jesus came to the earth and, and lived and died and was buried and rose again. But, but here's the thing. As Pastor Malcolm has been saying, no one becomes a Christian simply because their grandfather was one or mom was one. It doesn't happen through osmosis. It's not passed down in the genes. It's not, it's not hereditary, so to speak. Everybody has to receive Christ as their Savior for themselves. And the first part of that is hearing the truth of the gospel. And here's the thing about the city of, of Colossae. The the gospel message was not native to their city. In other words, Colossae was not right there uh, in Jerusalem. It was not right there uh, in uh, in one of the places. You know, Acts chapter uh, 1 and verse 8 where Jesus said that ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both at Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. This was like a Samaria place. So what that means is 
the, the story of Jesus or the message of the gospel had to be brought to the city of Colossae. And in their case, there's no doubt that this man, Epaphras, was the messenger. He himself was a citizen of, of this city of Colossae. And it, it, is, it is thought that, that he had contact with Paul and been converted to Jesus Christ probably during Paul's three-year ministry in the city of Ephesus. So here's this man Epaphras, and he comes in contact with the Apostle Paul in another city, and, 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 and God, he hears the gospel, he gets saved, he gets on fire, he gets excited, and he goes back home to his city, to his family, to his friends, to his uh, uh, workmates, if you will, and he begins to share this story and other people began to get saved. And Andrew, then the church takes form. And a brand new church is, uh, is started in that city. Now, stage one of their spiritual experience is they heard the gospel. That's important. And, and let me, I, I just want to uh, make sure that we understand. Listen, uh, it's every Sunday here, you know what the heartbeat of Preacher Malcolm is? Fill these seats and tell the gospel. Get people in the doors and tell them the gospel. Get people online and tell them the gospel. Get anybody within earshot anywhere so they can hear about Jesus. Because listen to me, being a good old boy ain't good enough. Amen? We must hear the gospel. And check this out. Let me give you a couple things about the gospel. Uh, it centers in a person. The gospel is centered in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. The gospel is not uh, religion. The whole theme of this epistle is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That's the main theme of the book of Colossians. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. And preeminence is just a Bible word that means first place. And so what Paul tells them throughout this story or, or this, this book as he's correcting the, the false teaching and everything, he tells them, listen, Jesus Christ is first and he's above. He's first before anyone else and he's high above anyone else. The Bible says that so plainly. The Bible uh, says in in verse 16, for by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist means they're held together. There, Jesus is, God is holding this whole thing together. So the preeminence of Christ is the theme that runs through the whole book. The false teachers who had invaded the fellowship in Colossae, they were trying to remove Christ from his place of preeminence. And folks, there's a lot of folks, there's a lot of people trying to do that today. Say amen right there. And the way to remove Christ from first place is to destroy the message of the gospel. But there's a problem with that. It was Christ, and only Christ, who lived a sinless life. 
and who went to Calvary's cross willingly and pleased the Father and gave His life to be the sweet, holy, special, sinless, faultless Lamb of Almighty God. In other words, it's impossible to separate Christ from the gospel. If you take away Christ, you take away the gospel. It's not possible to have a gospel without the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not possible to have a gospel without the death. And listen, when, we, when, when a preacher says a term like without the blood, what we mean is without Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross and His blood pouring out and being shed out. That's what that means. That's what we're referring to. And the Bible plainly says, without the blood, there is no remission of sins. So the gospel is not just a story. The gospel is not a set of rules and regulations. The gospel is not a building we come to. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It centers in a person. Jesus Christ. And the gospel that they... Now listen, let me go back. This is what they heard. The first stage of their spiritual experience. They heard the gospel. So the gospel centers in a person, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the word of truth. I'm not making this up. Look in verse 5. The Bible says... For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. This means that it came from God and can be trusted. How many of you hate fake news or or false advertisements? How many of you like me are blown away how people share stuff like on Facebook and you can look at it in two shakes of a sheep's tail and know it ain't even a real news site? If there is such a thing as a real news site, I don't know. But and you're like, you're like, Grandma, why are you sharing that? It ain't real. Well, listen. <laughs> listen. The gospel is not just something that is is true. The Bible says the gospel is truth. There's a lot of stories that, yeah, they're true. But this story is the, according to the Bible, is the truth. Amen? So the, the gospel is the word of truth. There are many messages and ideas that can be called true, But only God's word can be called truth. In John 17 and 17, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. Amen? Listen, folks, the the, the whole of, of, of our church's missionary endeavors and our church's mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And when we love others, the biggest way we do that is to share with them the truth. And the truth is the gospel. Folks, the world needs to hear. The world needs to hear. And if you think everybody, oh, everybody around here knows that, listen, you got another thought coming. Everybody doesn't know that. There's places in our world, especially from Middle Africa all through Asia, through the Middle East, and then through Asia up to the top of the Philippines, the 1040 window, they call it, that part of the world. There's over, over 4 billion people in that part of the world, and they, studies say that over 2 billion of them have never even heard the name Jesus, much less the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
this gospel centers in a person, Jesus Christ. It is the word of truth. It is for the whole world. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, talking about the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in the whole world. It's for everybody. It should be our heartbeat to have everybody in the world hear the same good news that we heard that led us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. One thing that ought to happen immediately when we get saved, and I'm not talking about that day, but pretty soon, is we ought to have a desire, a God-given desire in our hearts that other people would also experience the joy of knowing God like we've just learned. Amen. That's why a Christian can love complete strangers because they're not loving them for what they do or or what they've done or who they are. They're loving them because they want them to know about God and have the joy of the Lord like they have. Amen? Well, let's move on. This gospel, oh, there's one more thing about this. this. This gospel message is the message of God's grace. Verse 6b, the Bible says, And bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So the, the gospel is the message of the grace of God. Let me ask you this question. Is anybody else hearing the gospel because of your life? The first stage in any Christian's life is to hear the gospel. But look at the second stage in their experience. Not only did they hear the gospel, but number two, they believed in Jesus Christ. You say, oh, preacher, that sounds so, so elementary, so simple. Well, if it, and, and believing on Jesus Christ is. But this needs to be preached and this needs to be taught because, because of this. Just because we go to church on Sundays or Wednesdays or, or whatever, that doesn't make us automatically right with God. I had one of the craziest experiences on the mission field last year. I was riding on a jeepney. Anybody ever been to the Philippines and know what a jeepney is? Yeah, some, some of you have. Okay. They're like a, uh, my wife's over there like, I have. They are jeeps that have been extended and they're open air on the sides, and they have two rows of seats down each side, and they can hold about 19 people. It's public transportation. And, I mean, you get on them things, they can hold like 400 Filipino people and about <laughs> five Americans, you know. They pack in them things. And they're real little. They're made for Filipino-sized people. So when, me, when I get in there, I'm like this. When my son, Hunter... If, if y'all know him, when he gets in there, he's like this. He looks like Dino or whatever the dog was on, uh, on the Flintstones, you know. Anyway, I don't know what made me think of that. But I was on one of them with my friend. Matter of fact, the same pastor, Pastor Ramada, that I was just telling you about last year. I was, we had to ride one of them. And he'll preach anywhere to anybody. He'll preach to that piano if he thought it would get saved well we got on this jeep and we went for about a four or five mile ride he just starts preaching to everybody that's that's on that jeep i'm sitting there like okay he's just preaching to them well we got to where we go and we did our business we get on another one to go back and he looked at me he was sitting like catty corner across over there at the front and i was at the back and there was about about 10 other people, five or six other people on this Jeep. It wasn't too crowded. He looked at me and he went, preach, preach. <laughs> Telling me to preach, but he's just whispering, whispering, preach, preach. And I'm like, me? 
It's like, yeah, preach. And I'm like, I don't have my Bible. I'm scared to death. I'm trying to make excuses. I don't have my Bible. He's like, don't need Bible. Preach. <laughs> so I just haul off and start preaching to these people in their language. God is my witness. I don't know much of their language. And I was preaching in the Tagalog language, which I know a little bit more of, but not much. But somehow or another, I was able to tell them in Tagalog that if you go sit in a garage like your car all night, you park yourself there, that does not make you a car. And they were like, yes. And then I was able to tell them, uh, if you go into a church and sit there on, on Sunday, that does not make you Christian. And they were like, oh. Like every preacher in the South has said that, but it was news to them over there. And they're like, oh, we understand. And I don't know how I said, I guess the Lord let me speak in tongues or something right then. It just, it came to my mind. And, and, and the, but the, the, it's true. You can hear, but if your heart does not respond in faith to the gospel message, you are not a Christian. And, and what does that mean? Some people, when they hear that message and the Holy Spirit drives it home through conviction, some people buckle. They, they, like me, when I got saved, Pastor Malcolm Carter Sr. led me to Christ in his front yard, in his driveway. And when he explained to me the gospel story, when he explained to me the truth about Jesus, immediately in my heart I was convicted. That means I believed that it was true and I could, I could, in my mind and in my heart, I knew it. The Holy Spirit caused me to know that message was true. That is conviction. And when I experienced that conviction, immediately I broke. I'm not talking about crying or nothing, but I knew I had to respond. And he explained to me from Romans chapter 10, the way to respond to the gospel message is to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And we do that by faith, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. And as he explained that to me, I bowed my head and said, God, I believe this. I believe you died and, and was buried and, and rose again. I believe in that. And, and I, I think I even, if I didn't tell God out loud my prayer, I told him in my heart, I don't even know why I believe this now. I just, I've heard it and, and, and it rings true. I confessed that I believed that. That's what the people in Colossae did. They heard from Epaphras and when they heard, God convicted them and they responded in faith. And listen, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. They responded with saving faith. And that's important. That's important. Because there could be people that come to temple week after week after week after week, even serving on ministry teams, and you've heard and you've heard and you've heard. But if you've not responded in faith to that message... then you're not saved. Saved from what? I'm glad you asked. Saved from the wrath of Almighty God. You know what wrath means? I studied that a while back. Wrath is the accumulation of anger. I'll use myself so, so you don't have to raise your hand or nothing. 
One time I got real mad at somebody on the phone. I'm going down the road having this conversation and I just got so angry. Finally, I, when I hit the end button, I took that phone and I chunked it in the floorboard. And it went in a gazillion pieces. And somehow without crashing, I picked it all up and chunked it all into the median of the highway. I was angry while I was on the phone. But my anger turned into wrath when I threw it. That's what wrath is. Wrath is the accumulation of anger when it's let loose. And that's what the wrath of God is. If you think God is just all happy-go-lucky jolly today with sinners, you're wrong. He has anger because of, of sin. And if we don't trust Christ by saving faith and become a child of God having our sins covered by the blood of his son Jesus Christ, there's coming a day when God's anger will turn into God's wrath and then it's too late. It's called the great white throne of judgment and it's too late. So, stage one, they heard the gospel. Then they believed in Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. Believing in Christ brings salvation. That's what brings salvation into our life when we believe. And believing in Jesus Christ brings an escape from condemnation. And listen, somebody says, well, preacher, what do we have to do to be condemned? Not a thing. Honestly, not a thing. We are condemned. The day we were born, we were condemned because we were born into a sinful world through sinful parents. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, wherefore death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And we know that the Bible says the wages of sin, of that sin, our sin, is death. We're condemned already. We don't have to do nothing to get condemned. We are condemned. But believing on Jesus Christ, that's the escape from condemnation. That's why they call the gospel good news. There's a way out. There's a way of escape. I don't know about you. I think we ought to shout a little bit over that. I think we ought to say, praise God. I once was headed to hell, but the Lord changed my direction. Amen. It's all because of Christ. It's all because of the gospel. Let me move on. And I want to get to this. These Colossian believers, they heard the gospel. Then they believed on Jesus Christ. But then... Stage three in their spiritual experience, they were discipled. They were discipled. Look at verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. You see, Epaphras did not just tell them about Jesus and take off. He told them about Jesus and then he nourished their relationship with Jesus. Hey, can I tell y'all a big secret? And don't tell Preacher Malcolm that I let the cat out of the bag. When he, when he goes through books of the Bible, like he's going through the book of John right now on Wednesday nights, he's not doing that just to, so he can, he can just learn more about the Bible. He does. You can tell he learns a lot when he preaches. Amen. His whole deal is he's trying to disciple us. He's, his intention, the intention of all this, he's teaching us. On Sunday mornings, He's sharing the gospel. He's throwing out the seed. He, he's planting the seed, man. He, I mean, he, 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 he's, he's sowing. Then on Wednesday nights, 
He's trying to do some reaping and some real plowing and planting. His desire for you and me and all of us is for us to become disciples in Christ. The word disciple means follower or learner. That's what this is about. That's why we have church to assemble ourselves and encourage each other and learn from God's word and grow in our faith and begin to learn. Maybe, uh, maybe there's some folks here that have been saved for a few months now or a few weeks or, or maybe you've got saved in the last year or so. Can I tell you something? Your journey's just beginning. It's God's will for you to learn and learn. And, and by the way, it's, that's God's will for Pastor Malcolm. That's God's will for me. That's God's will for, the, for, for all of us is to continue to learn about Christ and the principles and the precepts in the Bible and become mature believers in Jesus Christ. So, stage number, stage number whatever we're on, uh, three... They were discipled. The Bible says in verse 7, As ye also learned of Epaphras. We could put that right there for us here. As ye also learned from Pastor Malcolm. As ye also learned from Brother Buchanan out in Fairview. Tonight, as ye also learned from Brother Travis. At your family devotion, as ye also learned from Mom. As ye also learned from Dad. As he also learned from quiet time in the morning or the evening. Amen? It, that's what this is about. We're coming to glorify God. And, and, and as we do that, we're becoming disciples. When I first got saved, honestly, that conviction was heavy. And when I got saved in that driveway, here's how I felt. Shoo! Praise God. Got that over with. First person to ever call me brother, Brother Travis, was, was uh, Becky Carter. That's uh, uh, Pastor Malcolm's mother, Sister Becky. She, she uh, was watching out the window, and she knew what was happening because I was a sure enough sinner. And she knew what, what Malcolm Sr. had. He had me cornered, man. And she knew it. And when I came in, he had a big old grin and he put his arm around me. He said, hey, Doc, tell Mama what just happened to you. And I'm like, I got saved. She said, oh, Brother Travis, and gave me a big old hug and I just started crying. But I, I thought, shoo, I thought, man, I can chill out now. God will leave me alone. That's honestly what I thought. Because I had been convicted and experiencing that and going to church and hearing Malcolm Sr. And if you ain't never heard him preach, you just need to go to his house tomorrow and say, preach to me. Because that's an experience right there. It's hard to run from that. He'll hit you no matter, no matter where you're sitting. And I thought, man, I, God, I, whew, I, I made my peace with God. We good. It's all good. Little did I know, it was all just beginning. God wanted me to become a disciple. He wanted me to even become a preacher and then a missionary. But the thing is, I didn't know it then. But I know it now. And that's what God wants for all of us. Amen? Amen? The, the very last stage of their spiritual experience is they became faithful in Jesus Christ. These believers at this church, this real church, this real place, these real people, they became faithful in Christ. Let me show you this. Verse 6 which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. They began to bear fruit. They became faithful in Jesus Christ. You know, God's will for us 
is that we would become faithful ministers of Jesus Christ. Faithful dads, faithful moms, faithful children, faithful disciples who can be trusted, who can be counted on to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to give in the offerings and to support the weak and to reach the world and to shine the light and to be full of good works, not for vain glory, but for God's glory. But that won't happen if we don't become faithful in Jesus Christ. Let me just end on this. When when God's word is planted and cultivated, it produces fruit. Faith, hope, and love are among the first fruits in the spiritual harvest. These spiritual graces are among the evidence that a person has truly been born again. Let's look at them. Faith comes through hearing the word of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they believe unless they hear? So hearing the word of God. Our Christian lives start with saving faith. But this is only the beginning. Then we learn to walk by faith. So we, at first, when we call on the Lord, that's saving faith. And by the way, you don't need the faith of Billy Graham to have that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For ye are saved uh, uh, by grace through faith, and that, thank you, Lord, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Grace? Yes, but not in that context. Faith. The the, the faith to believe is a gift from God. When he convicts you, he gives you what you need to believe. And so that first response of your heart to God, that first cry, Lord, forgive me and save me, that's saving faith. But it doesn't stop there. Then we learn to walk by faith. And then we learn to work for God by faith. Amen? Amen. So faith is is one of those first fruits as we become faithful. And then love. Another evidence of of a mature Christian. Matter of fact, the Bible says, listen, if you love your brother who you if you don't love your brother who you can see, how are you going to say you love in God who you can't see? Amen. So a mature believer uh, has walking faith and working faith, but also a true believer has love and then hope. Oh, my goodness. I like this. I'll just give you the simple version here. In the Bible, hope does not mean hope so. In the Bible, hope is a certainty. The Bible says we are saved by hope. And that doesn't mean I hope so. It means looking For that blessed coming, looking for the Savior in hope of his appearing. Amen. Let me ask you this. Can you identify maybe tonight where you're at in in your Christian life? And here's the thing. There's no wrong places to be at. There's no wrong here, okay? Unless you're backslid, that's another sermon. If you've been saved 30 years and you're not faithful in Christ yet, there are sermons we got for you too, amen? But that's not the deal here. If you're a brand new person, you've never been saved, but you've heard the gospel. You heard it tonight. I hope it was clear. Now it's time for you to move on to that second step and, and, and receive the Lord as your Savior by calling on Him with saving faith. And if you've done that already, now it's time to become that disciple. Continue following God. Read your Bible and pray every day. Come to church on Sunday and keep coming back on Wednesday. Become that disciple. Amen? And understand that God's taking you somewhere. There's a lot of people. People on whose backs this church has been built. Who are now in heaven. A lot of faithful people. And you know what? 
God needs replacements for those faithful saints that have already gone to glory. He really does. God's wanting to raise up you to be faithful. To be one of them that's always there in their place. One of them that's already, always ready to help the preacher. Always ready. Well, amen. We got to go before we get kicked out. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you.